You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. So, Michael, what are we doing at 7 a.m. on this fine August 1st morning? Well, it is a Saturday, and once again, we are up early. Uh, today, uh, though, I'm, I'm really excited by this because um, uh, I, I really I really liked this wine. <laughs> I was stunned with it. Uh, we opened the bottle, my wife and I, and it was just like, how, how much do you think this bottle costs? And... Uh, what we drank was the Domaine de la Décelle uh, Réserve Vareus uh, from 2017, uh, 50% Grenache, 50% Syrah. And it says limited release on the bottle, by the way. Oh, well, that means extra special, right? Extra special. <laughs> Anyways, we are joined by Frédéric uh, Laveau. And uh, thank you so much for, for giving us some time. Yeah, thank you very much. It may be very early, and technology—that's part of what we have. Why we love it so much? It's uh, 1 uh, p.m. for me in the afternoon, <laughs> and it is uh, 40 degrees in Southern Rhone right now. All right. I don't think we've we've done. Um, no, we have. We did one on the on the Rhone itself, but we've never uh, brought it down to just a single winemaker, Andre. So I, I think this is this is going to be interesting to find out um, uh, about this. Yeah, no, totally. And um, I, I, I think Rhone is an area that, that you and I both need to spend a little bit more time paying attention to because uh, I, I don't know if we've said it on the podcast, but it is one of our favorite regions to buy wines from because they are so affordable. It's sort of like when you talk about the regions around Lyon, you have a lot of really high value areas. Like you've got Chateau Nifty Pap. I realize that's a little bit farther away from Lyon. You've got Bourgogne. And that's, and that's the that's the most expensive region. The, this is a Cote de Rhone village. Frederick, and, and uh, tell us Sh- first yeah, of all, let's start right? with this particular wine. What is the Domaine La Decelle? Um, what's it made of? Um, and the whole nine yards about this wine. Um, Domaine La Decelle, my, you, you know that um, the Lavo family has been involved in, in the wine in wine industry for many generations. And my mom and dad ended up, I mean, started in, uh, because they were both born in Tunisia in the 1940s and after uh, independence uh, war in 1962. So they had to go back to France and they were looking for a wine region uh, affordable at that time. And that was, that's how they ended up in Southern Rhone. So my brother and I are where we are born in a small v- village called the Sable. That's right at the foothill of Gigondas, Vaqueras and Rasto appellation. So oh, we're nice. right in the, in the center of it. And um, so we started to, my brother and I, we also did our college in Ottawa for four years. So I have a, I have a, a business administration, you know, bachelor degree in business administration. So that was a long time ago. That was 1991. And I ended up 1995 and started to work with my mom and dad right after. And in 2010, we had the opportunity with my brother to buy this estate to Domaine La Decelle. So it was one big piece of land, 30 hectares. Uh, pretty much only red, uh, only two hectares. One hectare was Viognier and the, the, the other hectare was uh, made of Marsan. And that's how we started with Domaine La Decelle. So Valréas is also the name of the, the, the village uh, because that's a Côte du 
own village with the name of the village called Valreas. And uh, we thought it was very interesting because it was a little bit like uh, maybe 40 kilometers, 20 miles up north of Violes, where, you know, the main winery is uh, based. Um, and uh, we thought it was interesting because, you know, a little higher in altitude, temperature would be a little bit, you know, uh, lower, I would say, compared to, uh, you know, uh, to Rasto and, and maybe Vaqueras appellation. And at the same time, um, we were very interested because we are, were, uh, you know, facing the Mistral. Mistral is the name of the wind coming from the northwest. Uh, that is really uh, typical of uh, Southern Rhone. So it kind of uh, uh, keeps uh, the vine uh, dry uh, during the summer uh, and during harvest most of the time. Uh, so that is the best air dryer that we're uh, able to uh, afford at uh, you know at that time. And and uh, also what was really uh, interesting is the fact that we had, you know, really all the Grenache, uh, you know, uh, vine and also some uh, Syrah. And that was pretty much it. Uh, so no Carignan, no Senso, not sec what we call secondary uh, varietals. Um, and it made quite an impressive wine. And it's true that uh, you have been uh, able to uh, taste Domaine La Decelle Red 2017 and 2017 for us was a very uh, interesting uh, year. Um, it may be like 2020, but I'll know about that maybe in a few months, and I will uh, let you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I guess that's the story of Domaine La Decelle. Well, I guess that answers all of our questions, Michael. Yeah, we're done. Thanks very much. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, I, I have... I, I, um, so this bottle only goes for, for $17, and... Um, I mean, I guess the question that I have is, is how do you get a bottle of wine with this quality to market while keeping the prices uh, so affordable? I imagine, what does this bottle cost if I were to visit you um, at the property? I guess that in euro, it would cost uh, maybe only half of it, half the price. Okay, so like so it eight euros. less than 10 euros. Yeah. How do you make a bottle of wine at that cost and make any money? Um, to be perfectly uh, honest, uh, because we have, you know, a large vineyard and also a large winery, uh, we are able uh, to uh, be very cost conscious. Uh, I don't know if I can say that, but uh, and for that reason, uh, we are able to keep our cost down. And also, uh, you know, by uh, having this opportunity to show this type of wine to, you know, the Canadian customers in general, was really, uh, I would say, uh, dear to me and my brother, uh, because as you said, the Southern Rhone in general offers, you know, great uh, price to quali quality ratio. Uh, and that's really how we are able with, you know, I would say less known appellation like Coduron village, smaller even village called Valreas to show that if you are able uh, to uh, cultivate, you know, the right type of vine, in the right place, what we would call, I would say, terroir in French, then you are able to deliver amazing quality for very cheap wine, you know? Cheap meaning affordable, right? Uh, and that's really what we wanted to be able to deliver. Now, you said you had old Grenache and old Syrah. How old are the vines? 
Um, alors, some of them, I would say the Syrahs, they don't live as long as the Grenache. So when you have a Syrah in, in domaine La Décelle, the oldest one must be around 50, 60 years old, which is for Syrah, you know, already quite old. And some Grenache, maybe 60, 70 years. But we have to, you know, um, pull out some of the Syrah first because before we have to, to, to do that for with the Grenache because the Grenache is stronger and it lives longer. And Andre, I know you're a big fan of uh, of labels, so I, I didn't even ask you what you thought of this label. <laughs> I I did like it. I don't know why. I like that smear of purple, but um, and it's it's I thought fairly distinctive on a shelf, just because it it's not there's not a picture. It's not. Uh, it's just a, it looks like a smear of purple paint. Um, it's something and where I, you and drink. I guess where, my where, next question for Frederick is. What is, does the label signify anything? Is it a picture you made when you were three? Uh, what's the what's the deal with it? I I like it. Um, I, I guess um, we, my brother and I, we met this artist called Mag M A G, uh, who is a neighbor uh, from us, and uh, she was, you know, a painter, and we kind of uh, really liked what she was doing, and even if it was. You know, ten years ago, uh, it, I mean, the the the, the four paint brushes that you can see on the labels um, are really not very old-fashioned. It's and it, we thought that we wanted to be very distinctive, very distinctive in terms of quality and also on the shelf. And it's true that it really attracts your attention. So, of course, the, some people are going to be more attractive to very old-fashioned type of labels. Uh, but for maybe newer generation or maybe for people who wanted to do kind of, you know, things out of the ordin ordinary, as uh, they would go and maybe pick uh, this, um, you know, uh, this bottle because of the four purple paint brushes. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It, it, um, does the the color mean anything in specific? Did did you share the wine with the artist before the artwork was made? Because it is one of those things where you're really kind of drinking with your eyes when you open the bottle. If you had to describe the explosion of flavor, it really does it really does come out pretty purple. When you, I guess that also when you look at the at the cap of the bottle cap in aluminum, it's it's always, usually it's always uh, you know purple because that's kind of our corporate color if I can say that, <laughs> uh, and we wanted to kind of uh, have a link with that, so uh, Mag uh, started you know drawing plenty of different type of you know uh, of labels uh, and uh, we were really attracted for the really very simple four paint brushes going you know up and down uh, so and we thought that maybe if we could kind of relate to the purple cap then that would work so she tried with purple paint color and he did so we said let's not change a thing and don't do anything except just the four paint brushes and you said that you're near the uh, the village of uh, Valreas. Mm -hmm. 
are there any other vineyards around there or do you have like almost like an exclusivity to that area? No, I wouldn't say it's a large village appellation, uh, but uh, it has been, you know, a very, it, it has been, you know, I would say um, uh, famous in the Rhone. Because even some really uh, well-known, uh, you know, wineries like Chapoutier had launched, a, you know, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, a Cotillon village Valréas, and everybody. It was mostly in Northern Europe, and everybody was really fond of the wine because it really delivered quality. Uh, and if you go up there, you see uh, it's really fun when you look at the, the Valréas village because it's on the valley floor. But if you you look south you have two hills going up down and up again and down again and our our vineyard uh, is planted pretty much at the top of the hill facing south so we have a beautiful you know sunny exposure during the day uh, because of the altitude of course it's hot but it's not as hot as if we were at the bottom of the hill and um, so the perfect exposure for the sun and the higher altitude really made our i mean that's how we made our our decision to buy this you know vineyard and um i know we, we talked a little bit about uh, affordability with this um i i feel when i open this bottle while it is ready to drink right now like it's not fussy you don't need to worry about decanting it it's not like opening a chateau neuf du pape if you're opening it young you got to put it in a decanter all day to open up but um and the ne- and part of the next day yeah totally uh what's the aging potential like have you do you have a, a good collection of uh back vintages that you've been you've been going through but- my, my first vintage was 2010, and I am still drinking, you know, some 2010. I, I opened a 2012 maybe, you know, two weeks ago. And, of course, the wine is changing because, you know, that's the principle of, you know, aging wine. Uh, but you still have the same kind of concentration. Of course, you know, the Grenache is always taking over uh, with all the spicy character and, you know, uh, thyme and rosemary, all the Garrigues type of spices that you are able to... To a taste in 100% Grenache, and usually, the I would say the the body structure of the wine comes from the Syrah because you can get it really really ripe and when you get Syrah very very ripe then that's where you get all these you know full body type of wine and by blending the 250-50 that was for us what was the best uh, in terms of you know the nose and the mid palate uh, so uh, and so 2017 really delivers exactly the, the right balance between this very earthy you know character on the nose and very this very uh, mid palate, full bodied, but very delicate with the nice acidity um, that lasts a long time in your mouth. Uh, but you know, Côte Duron Village, as Côte Duron, you have to be able to deliver good, good quality right away. So people want just to, you know, pop up the cork and just, you know, uh, uh, pour into the glass and just drink the, the wine directly. Uh, but of course, if you're able to age it, the wine is going to uh, evolve in a very, you know, nice way, delicacy. 
well, after I tasted it, I, I went out and, and I, I, I bought some more. <laughs> Cause, cause... <laughs> that's, that's usually, you know, that's uh, uh, when you, when people are really drinking, you know, very amazing. And uh, I would say, let's say hundred percent, uh, you know, uh, hundred points type of wine that are very, usually very buffy because they are, will be able to age for a very, very long time. Usually this type of wine, you're going to, you know, pour one glass and if, you know, everything is fine then you're going to drink drink the old glass but after you don't want to come back to it that's usually what happened when with a very affordable like the domaine la decelle red 2017 uh, you are able to drink in now you know 2017 is really nice to drink uh, we're going to bottle the 2019 in september uh, just um, you know before we start harvesting and the wine always delivers you know it's it's that's really what's amazing we've uh, domaine la desserte well i'm uh, obviously uh, uh well andre knows my uh my cellar so he yeah. knows i'm probably going to lose a couple bottles in there uh so i will look forward to tasting it mm -hmm. in in the future but andre just no, i, mean, I, I want to compare not... some notes it, uh did you have your note in front of you about the wine uh yeah i've got my note in front of me i actually you, you know i think talking about your cellar it's you know we've been talking a lot on on the podcast especially over like the past 12 months about how i don't mind dropping that 50, 60, 70, 80 dollars a bottle for that one bottle that ends up in the cellar. But the Domaine de Cell really is one of those wines that can make the foundation of a great cellar. I know we have a few people who listen to this podcast who have reached out to us asking, like, how do you build a really great cellar? Where do you start? What do you do? This is one of those wines that makes the foundation of a great cellar because it's low risk, right? At, yeah, seventeen dollars is, is right in my wheelhouse for for lying things down for for quite a bit of time. Right, and you so can, what, and you can what, afford to buy. What I mentioned about this wine, okay, go ahead. Was the explosion of fruit on both the nose and on the palate? Totally, lots of spice, plum, black cherry, blackberry, pomegranate. Uh, there's even a hint of minerality, and now that I know the age of those vines, that kind of explains that. Uh, with a spicy, a spicy, peppery note on the finish, and I thought that the tannins were at odds with themselves because they were both silky and they <laughs> bit back so that was uh, the shock that was really the, the the shock about about the wine but that's also what makes the wine so great like i think the the, the foundation of, of my tasting note and the reason that makes this this wine so fantastic is it is like ready to rock you open this bottle you don't need to worry about decanting it so you know what if it's if you're hosting a dinner party this isn't a wine where you need to open it you know in the morning and wait for your guests to show up this is a great wine that you could just open up if you're ordering pizza or if you're doing something that's a little bit more involved uh but it, it's it's also something that with a bit of decanting is going to evolve like i'm i'm going to be picking up a few bottles of this as well to lose in in my collection for when I don't feel like opening some of the stupid expensive wines that I have purchased. Put it, put it with your Stelmar Zinfandel. I'll put it with my Stelmar Zinfandel, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fre Frederick, um, just so you what know. Was your, what was your score, Andre? Just a real quick one, and then I want to go back to Frederick. Uh, just so you know, Frederick, so you're in on the joke, Stelmar is um, a California Zinfandel that hit the market from a, a, a Canadian entrepreneur that's in a can, and it's actually very good, but I have no idea how it's going to age in a can. Um, and my score for this was interesting. A, it was a four plus. Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, we didn't compare notes beforehand, but yeah, four plus was uh, was exactly where I was too. So it was a hard four plus too. Like it, it wasn't even a like is this a four? Anyways, and we we score our wines out of five, so that's a four plus out of five. Just like Vivino. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's a very good score for plus for Vivino. So uh, thank you very much. So Frederick, you're, how long? Uh, again, I want to just go back because I, I know you mentioned how long has your family been in the wine business? Um, um, uh, I would say four generation because my great grandfather in 1870 was living in Bordeaux. He had nothing much to do with the wine industry except that he had one of his cousins was the owner of Chateau Grand Ponte uh, in Saint Emilion, uh, which is not part of the family, but the castle, the chateau still exists. Um, and uh, he decided that he wanted to discover the new world. And at that time in 1870, the new world. Uh, was uh, you know North Africa, so he moved to uh, Tunisia uh, in 1870 something. And after my great uh, my grandfather was born in uh, 1899, uh, and after his dad uh, passed away because he was still, my grandfather still young, he was 18, so he had to move back to uh, to uh, Tunisia even if he was in Paris studying medicine. And uh, my dad uh, was born in 1938, so he also, uh, you know, started to work in the family uh, wine business at that time, uh, you know, in 1950-something. And uh, after the war, the, you know, the, the independence war in North Africa, uh, he had to move back to uh, France and to Southern Rhone in 1965. So we have been like, uh, yeah, I would say now, uh, yeah, we are the fourth generation of a winemaker in the Lavo family. Sorry, you said, are you related to uh, the family at Grand Ponte, or they just were not uh, not anymore? But okay. uh, they used to be a, a part of my family. Yes. Okay, I I, I love uh, Grand Ponte. It's um, I mean, out of a lot of the wineries in in Bordeaux, mm -hmm. uh, it's just. They they lack the the stuffiness that you get yes. with a lot of the wineries and wineries in Bordeaux. So it's definitely a good uh, a good pedigree for uh, laying your foundation in Rhone. So I I know I've seen the Laveau name. Uh, I, I I do a lot of cellar work, uh, meaning I help people inventory their wine cellars. So I have seen the Laveau name on on quite a few bottles. Uh, we know about the Domaine La Dacelle. What else uh, does Laveau have their fingers in these days that we can look for, uh, wine wise? Uh, we have been lucky uh, because, uh, you know, the Canadian market has uh, really uh, enjoyed, uh, you know, the Lavo wines in general. So uh, if we go, if you go to the LCBO, the SAQ, uh, you will be able to uh, find uh, some Lavo labels uh, for, for example, Gigondas or Rasto or even Vaqueras. Uh, Domaine La Decelle was really a, a new thing for us. Uh, very happy about it, of course. Uh, if you go to, we have another estate, if you look on our website we have many estates yes uh, you do except apart from the lavo uh, brand i would say uh, so uh, i would say that two things are new uh, we have been um, you know selling some uh, rasto coming from an estate common domain les evignaux really nice place well, you know my brother and I have always been very fond of Rasto uh, we have been uh, um, you know labeling Lavo with Rasto uh, a wine uh, for quite a long time and uh, uh, this appellation is getting more and more uh, popular uh, throughout the world now um, and the Domaine Les Evignaux was kind of a, a funny story maybe uh, if we have a few uh, uh, minutes for me uh, to let you know but uh, 19 to 2000 
2014 or 2000, yeah, 2014 during the winter, I have this couple uh, coming to the office and saying that they wanted to uh, uh, for for the the, the Lavo brothers uh, to come and visit an estate in Rastow, and uh, uh, because the, the lady and the gentleman were you know going to retire and they didn't know anybody who were interested in buying their estate, so they came to us. So we were not really you know interested at that time, uh, but the lady insisted and she was very nice so I got in the car with them and they uh, showed me uh, they told me uh, their vineyard and uh, I came back to the office and I went directly to my brother and I said you know really old vibe of Grenache Syrah Mourvedre Carignan amazing even some Senso we have to buy the estate and uh, that's really how it happened and uh, I believe that for 2017 vintage so that's only our third vintage because we have produced 2015 2016 and 2017 and now it's being sold at uh, uh, the SAQ in Quebec, uh, and I also believe that we also have a release that's really coming soon uh, at the LCBO for one of our Chateauneuf du Pape. It's a special cuvee made of 13 varietals, so red and wine in Chateauneuf du Pape, huh, red and white. Uh, so we make what we call the field blend, uh, and that's 2016, really amazing, amazing vintage in Chateauneuf du Pape with our Chateau Mocoa and uh, it's a red wine and it's a special cuvee called Privilege and uh, if you are able to uh, so we have sold something like 250 cases and uh, it's very very interesting wow, very interesting a, wine I'm, I'm very pulling unique a, pulling up the label in, in front of me right now it's a really I, I think with, with Nifty Pap it's hard to stand out on the shelf but it's a really great looking label and the blend so you've got Grenache, Syrah, Mourvedre, Sainso, and Clairat, and Bourboulin. Bourboulin, exactly. Man, those are two. It's a white variety. Yeah. Yeah, because right above the castle, we have one plot of the oldest vine, you know, of the estate. So it's a six, six hectares, approximately. And uh, we wanted to do something special because we have realized when going into the vineyard, working in the vineyard, that you had, you know, a few vines of Claret, a few vines of Bourboulinque, and everything was kind of mixed up. Because in the 1910, when, you know, a vine died, you were going to the... Uh, how do you call that? The rootstock uh, supplier. Okay. And asking him uh, because you needed to replace a few dead vines. So he was usually giving you what he had in stock. So you never knew exactly what you what he was giving <laughs> you. Uh, so uh, you know it happened from time to time that he had giving you some you know white varietal and you were replanting in the middle of uh, you know vineyard of Grenache or Syrah. And that's how we ended up you know being able to uh, recognize all the thirteen varietals so red and white old mix in this piece of land and we decided to make you know the 13 varietals the way it used to be made like in the first days i would say and uh, that's how we ended up creating you know privilege from chateau neuf du pape from chateau moquois those field blends are always really interesting. Yes. Uh, they they truly are, uh, as, as I've I've heard say before and, and realized it uh, over the years, that that winemaking in that way is is really like cooking. It mm -hmm. is 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every varietal seems to bring something different to the pot, no matter what spice you're putting in. Uh, when you're cooking, it brings a certain spice or a certain fruitiness, and it seems that that those those grapes do. It's early in the morning, Andre. I don't feel I'm making sense. No, no you, well, <laughs> you you don't make sense in the evening when we usually record these, but you're doing you're doing pretty okay. All right, I know what you're talking about. Okay, good. Ooh, thank God. <laughs> I thought I got lost in my own sentence. Going, ah, I don't even, I don't even know what time. Okay, it is, okay. So. so, so we're drinking the 2017. Hopefully, 2018, 2019 make it to market eventually, and people buy this, uh, buy this wine up. But how's the summer going uh, in in Rhone right now in uh, 2020? Uh, 2020 is great, uh, except that, you know, along the years, maybe because I'm getting, uh, you know, a little bit older every year, which is a normal thing, of course. But, you, you, you know, when it gets to 40 degrees, you know, at the end of July or beginning of August and it lasts, then I'm, I'm not used to I'm, I'm, my body doesn't like it so much anymore. <laughs> and it's true that we are really, um, I would say, suffering and the vines first, of course, from, uh, you know, global warming in general. So we have had uh, the we have never had so little rain uh, in a year. So it has been people think that, you know, everything is normal because it has been raining, you know, once in a while, but really small amounts. Uh, and now we are really, really, everything is really, really dry. Uh, and now it's getting to be really, really hot. Uh, so hopefully we're changing moon uh, next week. Uh, so maybe we're, everybody's hoping that we'll get some rain uh, because it will el- help uh, the vines uh, to uh, get the fruit ripe because the fruit has, you know, uh, already starting changing color from uh, green to red. And uh, because it has been so hot and we have so little rain, we believe that we'll be, um, you know, uh, picking some red varietals like uh, Roussan and uh, maybe Viognier, maybe right before the 15 or right after the 15 of August, which is really, really, really early. Wow. Is, is the 15th of August, is that a normal time for harvest or is that early? No, no, it's not normal. Uh, we are at least 10 days early. Uh, so uh, it's okay, you know, it's just a question of organization. It's not really doing anything special to the vine or to the fruit. Uh, but it's true that, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, always very busy summer, everybody at the estate is really happy just to take a break, uh, except that everybody will have to come back a little bit earlier just to make sure that we'll be able to pick the fruit in time. So is, it, uh, is this so- your earliest harvest ever? Uh, 2016, I don't remember if it was 2016 or 2017, we had to start right before the 20th of August. So this year, it may be the earliest that we'll, you know, that we have done ever. I ever, really ever. hate to have to do this because I'm really enjoying talking to you, but I've got a countdown in front of me. We have 50 seconds left in this Zoom meeting. Uh, but Frederick, I really want to thank you for giving us the time. And uh, hopefully next time uh, we get a chance to speak, it'll either be in Toronto or perhaps at your vineyards in France. Yeah, thank you so, so much for uh, hosting me. It's always a pleasure to talk about wine. Thank you, Frederick. It was a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. And uh, see you maybe in Canada. And thank you for this wine. Andre, that was some kick-ass wine. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's one of those things where 
I've been spending a little bit more money in Rome than I should. Uh, you know, the Demender Remisier that we split the case of from Classics. Um, I've been picking up the odd Chateau Nifty Pap when they go on sale at um, at Front and Spadina. I don't understand why you do in the bottle no. like that at 17, 17 bucks. bucks. It's yep. just... It doesn't need a fancy appellation. The bottle's great. It's something that belongs in a cellar, but also doesn't belong in a cellar. Uh, it's it's a unicorn wine. Make sure you stock up on this wine while you can. When I uh, when I tasted the, the moment after I tasted it, I was looking around stores uh, around my area and found four. So I quickly uh, stowed some away. Well, there we go. Uh, I guess we should mention Patreon now. Uh, if you have a moment, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. Uh, we're working on some ways to maybe incentivize people to consider contributing to it. It doesn't cost a lot of money to keep this podcast going, but there are a few expenses. So we appreciate everyone who takes a moment to check it out. And I would think hopefully maybe by mid-September, early October, we'll have some new things up there to incentivize you. I'm sure you'll hear about it first on this podcast and not anywhere else. I'm Andre Prue from AndreWineReview.ca and find me on social media at Andre Wine Review. And I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Oh, one more thing. Great guy, but sometimes Michael Pincus Wine Review. Unbelievable. One more thing. If you decide to leave a review for us, please do so. Do it on iTunes. Uh, our latest review is quite humorous. Took uh, oh. took some issue with some colorful language that we've used, apparently unbecoming of wine professionals. But what else were you expecting from two guys talking wine? Take it away, well, Michael. He's not, he's not listening anymore, so <laughs> bye. Good night. Oh, yeah, and, and good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.